Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, today was an epic day in price action for Bitcoin and the whole past weekend has been epic in price action for just altcoins and DeFi tokens in particular. And uh, Ethereum having a pretty big weekend. Uh, it's been fun watching the price action and uh, excited to dig into that a little bit with you right here. Um, but just really quick, we, we interviewed Ansel Lindner, uh, my co-host for FedWatch and a uh, longtime Bitcoiner. Uh, we really focused in on macro issues with this podcast. And I thought that, um, you know, it's important to talk about these macro issues because um, they really affect, you know, what is going on around us, you know, as a whole and in a, in a really big way and things are changing a lot. So it's interesting to learn about um, his research and understanding and, and get into that. David, what do you think about the interview? Yeah, Ansel and, and Bitcoiners at large talk about how like we're kind of in a Bitcoin bubble. Uh, for the Ethereans listening, that's the Ethereum bubble that we're in. Like, if you have a podcast in this space, if you have a newsletter in this space, if you work in this space, like you have a nice salary. Crypto protocols have money; they're paying for advertisers, paying for sponsors. Uh, you know, you know, salaries are being paid. That's great. That we're in a bubble. That's not what the outside world looks like right now. Uh, and like, the, and that's kind of part of the narrative, right? Like part of the narrative is the crypto world has green pastures and the rest of the world doesn't have green pastures. And so we kind of, that's kind of like the substrate of the conversation that we have with Ansel and, and reminding ourselves that like we are in this crypto world, we are very disconnected from the rest of the world and the rest of the world, Ansel claims, is in a depression. Uh, and this is not the first time this argument has been made on POV crypto. Uh, and I think it's a pretty fair argument. Like the world, perhaps the the world, it's not reflected in the stock market, but it's instead reflected what Ansel claims is reflected in people's mindset and actions and behaviors. We are in a depression, and so that's a pretty interesting take. Uh, so we're going to get into that episode. I do want to riff on some more price action real quick. Uh, I feel yeah, pretty vindic- vindicated uh, because I've been saying for a long time that uh, maybe mostly in my head, but I um, probably a few times here on POV Crypto that like. When the bear market ends, it's going to end violently. Like it's not going to be a slight, slow climb up. Like it's going to be a a shotgun blast into the air. And uh, I've always been like positioning myself accordingly. And what that means is that I take my money and I dump it into ether. And I've been doing that ever since 2018. And uh, I, that has just been working out absolutely fantastic. Uh, so like the bear market, and I think, and I think it's fair to say the bear market's over. Like no one really knows, but like. Bear market's over. I was like, gonna say, at, are, are you willing to, to hang your hat on bear market over right now? I was tweeting I th- some I think so. shit out, which I, I think go. so. No, I, I think I think I think it's fair to say the bear market's over. Like from a from a charting perspective, I'm not a charter, but the people that I listen to that are charters are showing this massive line that's been descending on the log chart on BTC ever since 2018. You can see it on ETH2. And ETH broke through that line and then BTC just followed right through that line. We have a, a, the narrative is following, right? Like uh, I've been shitting on Bitcoin for not going up when money printer goes burr, but you know, it still has its day to shine where it can do that. The DeFi narrative on Ethereum is absolutely exploding. We actually have tokens on Ethereum that you can uh, compare and evaluate in traditional valuation models, like the, the dollar cost, uh, cash flows, cash flow models, that's important. All of these things are coming together, right? And, and the, the hype is strong. Friends, I'm, friends are texting me about like the DeFi tokens that they want to purchase. Like all the pieces are here. Like it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Are they, are they texting you about DeFi or Bitcoin? They, DeFi, dude. Definitely DeFi. <laughs> Bitcoin is not in the picture. However, it is trending on Twitter today, which is another piece of the puzzle. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I like completely disagree that Bitcoin is out in the picture. Um, I would disagree with Ansel, who says that you know altcoins have seen their their all time high and they're never going to visit it again. I disagree with that. I think that every the entire sector is going to continue to destroy all time highs. Um, but uh, it's just hard to tell uh, which altcoins are going to win and which are not. Um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are saying ether all the way. Uh, but Bitcoin is a surefire bet. And from an investment perspective, I think it's it's just money. Um, with that being said, uh, uh, what's it, with that being said, uh, Corey Clipson gave me a great analogy too. like once you kind of understand that like Bitcoin's Bitcoin and 
everything else is just kind of existing and doing its thing as well. And they don't necessarily like compete with each other. Um, you know, it's kind of like Neo understanding like how the matrix works. Like all of a sudden you kind of understand, like you can do whatever you want. Um, so I feel like, you know, there's a world too, where like, you know, you just understand that you, you stack sats and you can make venture bets on whatever else you want. And, uh, you just play it safe and make good investments and, you know, you can get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's very Bitcoiner of you. Basically, what you just said is that you denominate in BTC and then you you do your best to stack as many sats denominated in BTC, right? Sure, yeah. Way. yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. On the other side of things, DeFi is uh, reinventing the entire financial landscape. So, you yeah, know, that, that's our narrative. I po- I posted a meme where it was like DeFi, Homer Simpson looking like really like skinny and good and on the back it's just like, paper clips and the rubber bands holding his his fat back and it was just like admin keys pump uh-huh. and dumps um mm-hmm. and while there's definitely interesting things happening like i'm not going to say no to that and there's way smarter people than me getting really excited and involved in all of this stuff mm-hmm. um you know i had sam bankman freed on a panel for uh, drinks and quarantine on bitcoin magazine and asked the entire panel of like these exchanges like you know, what's the deal with DeFi and pretty much all of these centralized exchange folks, including Sam shit on it. And then after that, I just continue to watch the only fucking thing that Sam is tweeting about is DeFi. (laughs) So like, you know, I'm not an idiot here. Like I'm I'm seeing like whatever is happening, like there's something here, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, like, you know, you need to take that into account of like what is happening with Bitcoin. And when David is tweeting about Bitcoin being a pet rock, I'm just like, Dude, rock all is right, cute. whatever, man. That whatever. Rock is super cute. <laughs> the part of the DeFi narrative is that like all these DeFi tokens, like Comp and, and Balancer and, and the MetaLabs token, and insert insert your yield farming token here. Like none of these are on yeah. centralized. You mean exchanges. the one the 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 presale uh, MetaLabs M Stable or whatever uh, mm-hmm. token? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, what's yeah. that? None of these. Uh, so it's like a. It's it's, like a that's it's great. Like, huh? That's great. Wait, are you being facetious? Yes. Yeah, okay. Anyways, the tokens aren't on centralized exchanges. Like the only token that's on exchange is comp, right? All these other tokens are just, they're all just totally insular to the DeFi ecosystem. So the only people that have gotten into them are the VCs that backed them, as you said, and then also the DeFi ecosystem. And the great, and like, sure, you can shit on like the MetaLabs uh, VC coin for being VC backed, but like the difference between this is that there's like one or two rounds of, of financing and then the token is public versus going on the public stock market, which is round after round after round of VC funding because going public is fucking expensive. So like you, it, it's not even a fair criticism. Like it's the minimum number of like investment rounds before the thing can go public. And I don't understand. And, and, the, and so you're shooting on ICOs because you want people, you don't want people to invest in ICOs because you don't want them to go public because there's risks. And then VCs come and fund these things and you shit on the VCs because they're investing before the public does because then the VC gets all the upside. Like you only get to pick one of these narratives. Well, no, my, my narrative is that they're all relatively bad investments, especially for long-term holds. So they could be whatever they are. That's just a, on specula- the flip side, that's a like, speculative this, statement this, too. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure most of them are going to continue to trend to zero in, in Bitcoin terms. Okay. I, I, I'm down to make a bet. I'm down to make a bet that I, I'll pick a portfolio of five DeFi uh, tokens, equally weighted $250 into some amount of, of dollars into all of them, that they will do better than Bitcoin over the next two years. The portfolio will. If you got balls, you got to make it four years. Okay. And we can make it $1,000. Point point one BTC. That's less than that. I guess that that's that's more than thousand. That's eleven hundred dollars. That's eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. I I pick five five DeFi tokens today, and okay. a, a portfolio of like one BTC. Whatever it doesn't even matter. It's, it's just nominal. One BTC's worth of these DeFi tokens, and it's gonna be they're going to be worth more than Bitcoin in in four years. Yep. Four years is a long fucking time. Yeah. You're just you're just timing the market cycle is what you're doing. Yeah, as in this, they're not going to be relevant by the next market cycle. <laughs> so, 
So you could have, you could bias it for the two years when shit is going to go crazy. And like, yeah. honestly, like I did not think there was going to be another thing that could be ICO-esque, but th- there definitely can be. And oh, absolutely. these money games, these DeFi tokens, this yield farming, like mm-hmm. it ain't going nowhere quick. So maybe it's not going to be uh, the revolution that David's saying, but I don't think it's going to just shrivel and die. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll, we'll flesh out these details a little bit more, but it sounds like we have something going here. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll tweet about it, but this has been a fun rip. I'm down to put some money on this, you know, a 10% of a Bitcoin, a thousand bucks, whatever. Okay. Sounds good. Well, the details will come later. All right. So we, we owe Ansel some airtime. This was a fantastic interview with Ansel Lidner, who is just a savant when it comes to understanding just the macro environment. So that's what you guys are here to listen to. Uh, now that we've gotten DeFi price action out of the way, uh, let's get right into the episode with Ansel. What is up, viewers? This is CK here with uh, two people that I actually make content with rather regularly <laughs> and glad I could finally bring you two together. I'm here with uh, David Hoffman, per usual, um, and then my co-host for FedWatch, which is a Bitcoin magazine, Bitcoin and macro-focused podcast, Ansel Lindner. Welcome to POV Crypto, man. What's up, guys? Great to be here. So, Ansel, um, I think uh, we've been talking about macro for a long time, but I wanted to bring you on to POV to talk to this audience about what is happening with the world. Um, I consider you to be an economist, Bitcoiner, and historian, and I've learned a ton from you just, you know, breaking down what's happening with the Fed, what is kind of happening across the world with central banks. Um, So excited for this conversation and excited to dive into some of the topics that we have teed up here. Yeah, it should be fun. You sent me a list of uh, topics and this is my bread and butter, what I think about all day long. (laughs) So, Angela, if somebody had to, if somebody asked you how we, you would explain just the overall global whole world macro environment in just a few quick sentences, like what, what are the things that stand out to you the most that are really going to be the foundation of this conversation? I would say it's a global depression, very akin to the 1930s. Uh, one reason why we haven't seen a ton of deflation is because of the bailouts and the rescue packages and things. But uh, eventually, it'll, it will just enter this general malaise for 10 more years, five more years, who knows. And, um, you know, there'll be no growth really in the economy. And everyone will be like, oh, inflation is just around the corner, just like they were saying that in 2012. But we'll just kind of be in a rut, just like the 1930s. And so, and so why is that? What are the core drivers of why, that, why that's going on? Well, it's, um, it's a function of a lot of things. I think the, the, base kind of th- the base reason is the form of money that we have right now is credit-based money. And that um, creates a capital structure you know, that goes through periods of deflation and reflation, deflation and reflation. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand the reflation part. They're, they're waiting for the inflationary impacts, but it's really just a reflation. It's a money replacement, I've called it. It's not necessarily money printing. And, and so the, the, the claim that we're making here is that, like, the, if I'm understanding this correctly, is that there's, there's an economy and then there's the money and these things are connected, but they are especially de- disconnected at this present moment, right? And so... The, the value of the money and the market cap of the money and the growth and the uh, uh, GDP of the economy are not really the same things at this present moment. And that's kind of allowing the economy to, uh, in, in uh, your, your eyes, deflate, de, uh, 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 get, get smaller while the money supply gets larger. Is that, is that, am I hitting on the right things here? Yeah, kind of. Um, I, well, I believe that a deflationary depression is kind of, it's almost like a state of mind, right? We, we feel like things aren't going to get better. So we save more and the economy doesn't grow and everything slows down. Um, people, their wages go down actually, most likely in, in a deflationary depression. 
Um, so no, I, I don't think the, I don't think the money supply is growing. So that's, I think that it's the, the free market will find a way to destroy that money and the fed and all these other central banks are just trying to fill up the leaky bucket. And Christian and I have talked about that a lot on a uh, fed watch. So I actually want to jump in here. Um, this is something that you have kind of stated as almost like a contrarian take on what's happening yeah. compared to what a lot of people are saying, uh, which is money printer go burr inflation, right? And we're seeing stock market prices go up a lot. But you're saying that actually, uh, most likely we're going to see deflation. This is different than other kind of in hyperinflationary events um, with the dollar being a debt back system. Can you kind of dive into why you think that we are going to be experiencing deflation rather than inflation, despite all of the QE and whatever? Yeah, well, it's also contrarian to where I was two years ago. And uh, I spent, I don't know, how many years have I been? I've been investing in gold for almost 20 years. So way before Bitcoin and waiting for this inflationary collapse, waiting for the inflationary collapse. And it never comes. Uh, so I started questioning like, Hey, are, are we having money printing? Is this actually money printing right now? Uh, because if there is, if, if there is money printing going on, we will see a general rise in prices. And since we don't, we see it pockets of it of, uh, prices going up, but we don't see a general rise in prices. If you look at commodity prices, commodity prices are going down over the last 10 years since QE started. So I, it just, a lot of these things have led me to the understanding that there's more credit contraction happening than we know, than we can see. So that's, yeah, it is a contrarian take, but uh, I don't think the money supply is going up. It, you got to ask yourself the question, what is money? So it's a contrarian take if, uh, so I'm kind of hopping into this conversation because you guys have many of these conversations uh, on FedWatch mm -hmm. that I, I've listened to some of them, but, but not all of them. Because the mainstream uh, take is that, uh, at least mainstream among Bitcoiners, among the crypto crowd as a whole, is that, no, there is inflation. It's just in different spots, right? Largely, it's in like the equities markets. Uh, largely, it's in asset prices, real estate, gold. Like that's where the inflation is. And it's a result of the consumer price index that kind of reoriented, reorients where inflation is found. And so the CPI just says like, hey, all the inflation of the world that is would have gone to like, you know, food, milk, gasoline, like automobiles, transportation, whatever. We'll just take that and push that into asset prices. So do you not believe in that? Not really. I think that it's a change in behavior. Just like we saw with now people saved like 30% of their stimulus checks. But if, if we would have gotten free money four or five years ago, they probably would have only saved 10%, right? So there's a change in the behavior of people. And this is a psychological thing. People are just not confident about the future. And so they will not spend, they will not grow the economy. And you can't have inflation without people spending. That's how you actually get inflation. So um, I, I look at the CPI kind of like a measure of how much the economy is being, the capital structure is changing every year. So like I said, uh, when you have a credit-based money, you're slowly changing the capital structure, right? So we see a rise of different industries. For example, the financial industry that was tiny, tiny 50 years ago. Now it's, it's huge. And we're all consumers where 50 years ago we were all, manufacturing. So um, slowly but surely, about the rate of the CPI change, we are shifting the capital structure of the economy. And that is causing swings in other prices. I don't think, I mean, lots of other things can make prices go up and down. Uh, so I'm saying that it's not inflation, it's other things like uh, behavior. So it seems to me like there's two populations that are just kind of experiencing two different worlds right now. So I totally understand that like there's a deflationary environment among like the 99%, the 97%. The 97%.
But then there's also like the stock market just roared and we're almost just before we were recording, we were talking with my roommate who's here about how we're at all, we're going to be hitting all time highs in the stock market like sometime soon, which to me like yeah. feels like a proxy for inflation, like asset prices, the, the, the consumer price index is like a subjective thing. And there's no real delineation between what's on this, the consumer price index and like other assets of the world. And if we're talking about a hard money like gold or Bitcoin, inflation would be considered like uh, asset price inflation would be considered part of inflation. But what you're saying is that there's like the retail side of things, the people that have to like buy food for their kids and buy gasoline for their car. Those people are experiencing deflation. And that's basically like 99% of the population. So when we talk about those people, we're talking about like the whole world. Uh, and then, and then there's like the, the wealthy 1% who are experiencing something totally different which is like their 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 brokerage account just doubled in the last like two months and and these two populations are not the same they're like maybe maybe one is experiencing the depression that you're uh talking about and then the wealthy are not the wealthy are experiencing inflation is that a fair take well they're they're uh experiencing asset price appreciation not necessarily inflation but yeah i i agree to the extent uh that uh, there is this bifurcation in, in society and yeah, the bottom 99%. Uh, what is it that, what percentage of Americans own stocks? Isn't it like 7% or something like that? So it depends on how you count it because if you count 401ks, like it's more than 7%, right? Yeah. I mean, there's studies out there for, I thought it was 7%, but I could be I, wrong on that. So. I don't, I don't have a good number. Yeah. No. But yeah, that, that would be a good proxy for the people that are benefiting from this versus people that are being hurt. Um, but it, it's not just a, like the dollar is not just an American issue either. It's a global reserve currency and it is what all international trade is. Well, almost all international trade is settled in. So everybody has dollar reserves. Um, businesses do big deals in dollars. And so, uh, it's, it's not just the U S population, but we have to look at the world population. So if you're saying that there's this split of two populations, then, uh, you know, the 7% of the U.S. is, yeah, really like half of 1% maybe of the world population that is experiencing benefit from the capital structure shift over to uh, certain assets like we've seen stock market and real estate and bonds and things like that. So according to Gallup, 55% of Americans, including 401ks, own stock, which is like a really low number. Like half of Americans don't own stock. That probably well, means that like a very, very smaller percentage of them like own maybe their house. And between that, that's the only assets that are going to generate capital for them. So to me, that's a really small number. Like half of Americans are only labor contributors and not receivers of capital. Yeah. And that's, that's probably a small portion. Like they have 90% of that population of 50% probably only has several thousand hundreds or of or yeah. thousands of dollars. Yeah. Right. A very yeah. low number. Right. Yeah. You're muted. I want to talk about the fed put about the fed put. So this is something that we talk about again on fed watch. So if you like this content, go to fed watch on Bitcoin magazine podcast and YouTube, but um, the fed, the fed put is uh, this idea that, the Fed is going to back up the stock market and make sure that prices stay high. Um, Ansel, can you go into the Fed put and why it's important to the overall situation, um, you know, with uh, the Fed kind of acting like a backstop to equities? Yeah, the Fed put is just this idea that started roughly 1987 when the Fed came in and saved the stock market, quote unquote, save the stock market the first time. And they, they will come in and backstop any sort of losses. Um, and that gives people confidence that they will do that. They'll do that again. Um, but the, my question about the Fed put um, is, does it work because they're actually buying the assets? Because if you look at the Japanese stock market, they have a BOJ put on, on their stock market, but uh, it hasn't really pumped their valuations up. It, they, they still below their all time high by a, a fair margin and they're just flat for about 20 years. So uh, that, that doesn't hold for Japan. I think the U S the fed 
since it does have this kind of exorbitant privilege that they, you might call it with being the global reserve currency, it has a lot of confidence globally. And so if the Fed says, we got your back, everybody thinks, okay, they got our back. Let's go buy. It's safe to buy now. And then they buy and it goes up. But uh, slowly but surely, that's going to wear off. I think people are going to come to the realiza realization like they did in Japan that uh, maybe they don't. That Maybe they don't know what they're doing. Is that what happened in Japan? I, I actually don't know. Is that, is that a, a, do, how well do we know that that is kind of what happened? Well, they, they went through almost a mirror image of what we have gone through. Um, they started QE in 2001, I think, or two. And they've, so they've been doing it for about 10 years more than the United States has. They own 75% of all ETFs are owned by the Japanese uh, central bank. And yeah, they just, they own a significant portion of the stock market, uh, almost all the bonds. I believe there was something about uh, the time from issuance to when the bond, the government bond went into the, went to the BOJ was a very short period, like a month. I think something like that. So only those very short um, on the run treasuries from the B of the government of Japan. Uh, only those are the ones that are out in the market. The rest are owned by the BOJ and their stock market is languishing. Yeah, so that's actually the second time we've had a guest on POV crypto that has compared the future of the United States and the global world at large to, uh, using Japan as a microcosm of that. Uh, the, the first being Nick Carter, who said the same thing. He's, and he said, he's largely echoing what you said, where he says, like, I think the next decade is going to be year after year after year of people thinking that tomorrow is actually going to be worse than yesterday, yeah. right? And yeah. that's what just creates a money-destructive environment, right? That's what people leads to, leads to saving and hoarding and, and not spending. Yeah, and more localism and, and people make grow more of their food or, you know, they, they, uh, they're not, it doesn't get out there and they're not trading internationally. Uh, things come back home. And so uh, that's just, uh, it grinds growth down. Imagine living in, in 1933 or something like that at the bottom, bottom of the depression. I mean, there's soup lines or whatever, bread lines uh, and soup kitchens and things. You couldn't, you just can't be positive when you're surrounded by something like that. So I don't want that to happen. When, uh, when Nick talks about the decade of misery, TM, <laughs> uh, decades a long time. It always makes me sad. Yeah, decades yeah, a, long, is a time. long time. I haven't been around for very many decades. Well, it's already um, been going on since 2008. So we're already yeah, a that's decade fair. in. Yeah. But why doesn't it feel like that? I mean, I guess it does. Has it just been like obfuscated away from us? It doesn't feel like it's been that bad. I mean, maybe I glitched, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's been like a decade of misery. We're in the Bitcoin bubble. What's that? Yeah, but before that, wasn't that bad for us. I mean, maybe we're just privileged, but but I guess that that is true for a lot of the country. Post two thousand eight, it just never improved. It was like only the wealthy in the in the burbs or in the coasts that actually. Well, that's part of the like their lives are getting better. That's part of the outrage on the streets right now, too, I think. I mean, some I, of, I totally agree. Some of it could be um, obviously manufactured or whatever you want to say political, but I think a lot of it is exactly that feeling. It, they have been in depression for a, a decade already, and they've had enough. So, I've been, I've been trying to recruit MMT scholars for a debate on Bitcoin Magazine. And I've been kind of going down the MMT rabbit hole a little bit, just just like so I understand like what's happening. And there was one yeah. interview in particular, uh, Ronan Gray went on to uh, Bob Murphy's podcast, which is a hardcore Austrian from the Mises Institute. And uh, Ronan Gray is like a lawyer, MMT, uh, college professor type person. And it was actually really interesting like I didn't agree with a lot of the things that he said. A lot of things that he said kind of confused me. Like how could that be his conclusion? But he did bring up points that I did agree with a lot around like the difference between what asset types are money, how different things can be money, things like that. And talking about needing to distinguish those things. Uh, so I sent it to Ansel and he actually thought that Ronan said some smart things as well. Like uh, what, what's been your, uh, you know, impression of MMT so far and like a lot of what like their proponents are saying about the economy. 
Well, um, yeah, when I watched that, I mean, I've, I've studied a little bit about MMT in, in the past, but as that interview was saying, actually, um, a lot of the critics misquote or straw man what MMT is saying. And so he tried to break it down. Um, I did agree with more than I thought I would, especially when you look at what type of money we have. Like I wouldn't agree with them if we were on a gold standard or a Bitcoin standard, but I, I kind of do agree with a lot of what he says if we're in this credit-based fiat world. Um, what he was talking about specifically with the different uh, types of money used for different things. So um, Bob Murphy was saying, I can't use a Fed Reserve to buy a sandwich. Uh, so it's not the same. It's not the same money um, going back and forth. And he's like, well, yeah, that's true, but uh, it has the same effect or something of that nature. So, um, but yeah, I, I do agree, agree that there are different types of money when the Fed prints, quote unquote, prints money and buys assets. They're just buying that with casino chips that, that are denominated in dollars. And those casino chips sit at the Fed Reserve as bank reserves. And they don't ever like that's not printing of money, really, because it's just printing of casino chips. You know, it's not actually considered money by the by the broader market. How does that system change, right? So like part of the Bitcoin maximalist thesis is that the world is going to converge on sound money and that like everything else will just be like, you know, it, it may exist, but it's just going to be unconsequential in the grand, in the grand scheme of things. Like how do you think we go from this, environment that's very much like a multi-money, multi-asset, multi-store of value world to uh, a single store of value um, digital hard asset. So from this world to a Bitcoin world? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a tough question. But well, like, that's does that also commit, does that commit to also the devaluation of the US dollar at the same time? No, not, I don't think on that part. Um, Christian and I, have, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, well, one, I don't agree that we're in like this multi-asset world. We kind of are, I guess. But like, if you look at the, um, uh, the dominance of the U.S. dollar, it's ridiculously high. Like nobody holds yen in their, their treasuries or in their um, reserves for their country. They hold the dollar or some places hold gold. Um, or their own currency. It's the only real choices. Um, everything else is kind of uh, just waiting to collapse. And we've seen that over the last year. I mean, a ton of emerging market currencies are just losing value left and right. I think like the Brazilian real up 300% or something or devalued by 300%. Um, and so I don't believe that we're necessarily in a really multi- asset world. We're mostly on the dollar and going over to Bitcoin. What I see is just like we talked about grinding down slow to no growth or negative growth, tra international trade slowing down or, you know, um, stopping completely, you know, lots of trade tariffs and all that stuff. And then, um, on the Bitcoin side, there's going to be this Bitcoin ecosystem or, uh, we, I guess you could lump in altcoin ecosystem in there too, but we're going to have this like Bitcoin headlined ecosystem and that is going to be where all the growth is. So people are just going to slowly go from that dying carcass over to the new fresh uh, meadow full of fresh shoots, green shoots. That's where, how we're going to go into a Bitcoin world. So I'm going to go on a quick tangent here, but uh, I, I wrote an article called um, The Bankless Nation, which talks about how like these crypto systems, mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum, are these new neo-nations, these new digital nations. And that's a good way to think of it, because like if you call Bitcoin a blockchain, you're missing so many other things. And, and same for Ethereum. Like there's so many different components that coalesce into these things, that these are nations. And that part of that metaphor talked to, went back to the earliest definition of a nation, which is before the nation state, but something closer to like, religion right like the catholic church or islam or or whatever um and uh, oh gosh i usually pronounce this right uh nizice nizice nietzsche nietzsche yeah thank you i usually get that right i don't know why um it said god is dead and what he meant by that was that uh not not that like 
God is dead as in like, we don't really, he, he meant that we don't organize ourselves by religion anymore. Like there's a mm. new way to orient ourselves. And we used to orient ourselves through the religious nations, through organized religion. And, but, but now we don't do that anymore. And that was in the 1800s. And what he predicted was that there was going to be an absolute catastrophe of organization because we were going to have to replace God and fill the void that he used to fill as an organizing body of people by something else. And he said that the, 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 nine, the next hundred years, the next, next century or so is going to be a complete mess because there's no, re, there's no governing power, there's no organizing power to replace him. And what happened in the 1900s was World War II because the Nazis wanted to have like evolutionary-based organization with a, with a pure race. And then we had uh, Maoist China, and then we had uh, you know, Soviet Russia, and then we had the USA free market, and then a couple of other like different proxy wars to all try and it was, a, it was a century of ideology as to how we organize ourselves. So, and then we finally found the nation state and now things are, are better than they were in religion. And the point I'm trying to make is that when we go from, when we talk about going from the dollar standard to like a Bitcoin standard, like, okay, we're already in the Bitcoin bubble. Like we're in this world. We're already here. Pasture, we feel like the pastures are pretty green. Things are going well. For the rest of the world, they're not, it's not going to be obvious that this is the place to go to. Like there's going to be chaos. Like, it's not going to be this simple, like, okay, first a dollar and then Bitcoin. People are going to be like, first a dollar, question mark, question mark, question mark. Okay, Bitcoin. And it's that question mark phase where people don't know what to do that I think can actually represent a ton of turmoil in this transition. How do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting uh, narrative. I, I don't necessarily see how that religion... Um, lack of organizing society necessarily translates to money because money uh, we've always used money. We always will use money. Uh, Money is the organization. So uh, religion was built on top of money, uh, not the other way around. So the money is, um, I mean, we'll just, it'll just slowly leak over. I I don't know how, um, how it would cause a lot of turmoil in that way for money specifically. Well, so value is going to leak out of the U.S. dollar and into Bitcoin, but also into many other things, right? Perhaps that's what we're seeing in the asset in asset uh, appreciation in the stock market. Like it's going to it's going elsewhere and also to Bitcoin, and then when it's also going elsewhere, maybe that's an intermediary step that people like people are investing in real estate instead of Bitcoin because they don't really think that Bitcoin is the right asset for them. And then, you know, in five to 10 years, they realize, oh, Bitcoin is the new asset. Let me sell my real estate for Bitcoin. Well, I don't think that dollar value is going anywhere necessarily. Um, because, you know, like, let's say you have a stock, right? And this, the, the stock price is $1,000. And the value that's in the market cap there, that's paper value, right? And uh, it could just go bidless and it goes to zero. So that value didn't go anywhere. It just disappeared. Boom. Credit contraction, deflation. So that's, that's what I kind of see. The, the value will just keep shrinking, not necessarily going and leaking out anywhere. Um, it's going to be people's minds. It's going to be people's, uh, uh, I guess, outlook on life. They're going to look at the old dead system and they're going to look at Bitcoin. They're going to be like, that gives me hope. That gives me direction or whatever. And that's, they're going to spend all their time there. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I think that it's a good time to kind of go back to more macro, um, coming election, uh, potentially more stimulus on the way, like, you know, 2020 seems like it's been crazy, but it's still just a powder keg for what could happen. Like, what's your take on, uh, what's coming in the next, what, like five to six months? Oh man, I... I try not to think about that, actually. I mean, I don't vote. I recommend people don't vote. Vote with your value, you know, buy Bitcoin. Um, So I try not to watch too much about it. I mean, I've seen, of course, the riots and and things. I still think Trump will win in a landslide. So I don't don't see society falling apart because I don't see, like, inflation. And I don't see a deflationary spiral getting out of control because the Fed can go in there and replace that money. See, so it's going to be a stable kind of decline. 
I think it will just keep going. All, all these people in the streets, they'll slowly lose their um, energy and it will go back to the same steady decline that we had before. Yes, no. Do you agree with that? Stock market already doesn't necessarily have the energy that it used to. Um, but, you know, we'll see. That that could always change. Like, it's still up today, but uh, it's, you know, kind of like a heroin addict. You know, you need bigger yeah. and bigger gains to uh, to get people excited. Um, it, it sounds like 2024. Kanye 2024. <laughs> it sounds like you don't have an opinion as to whether Biden or Trump is like better or worse for Bitcoin or the economy or anything. It sounds like you think it's a relatively meaningless choice. It is. It is a relatively meaningless choice. Um, I don't think there's much we can do to affect Bitcoin. The saying is, uh, you know, Bitcoin changes you more than you change it. Uh, or I think you can't really even change it. Uh, nobody can. It's, it's on a trajectory to uh, global domination so that's that's what we'll see do, do you think that like turmoil in the outside world like um just volatility in, in life helps promote bitcoin in any particular way or do you think that those are just generally separate trajectories i don't i don't know how to word it but it's it's no i don't think it really affects it um i kind of i kind of have a holistic view that it's just another part of what's happening. It was written into the code of the, the dollar standard to do this kind of credit um, expansion and contraction, deflation and reflation. It was written into the code of, of the US dollar and Bitcoin's code was written a certain way and it it's, exists in the holistic place and uh, Bitcoin will just continue to gain value relative to the rest of the world. So something else that has been gaining a lot of value and you, I think, were one of the first people that was really talking about it seriously, especially um, specifically about Tether, um, is stable coins and the usage of stable coins. Um, I just remember 2018, I think, listening to Bitcoin and markets and you're talking about like stable coins could, you know, surpass Bitcoin easily um, and that will be an area of FUD, but um, it's not necessarily an area that it hurts Bitcoin. Can you talk about like, you know, this growth in stable coins and how you predicted it and where you see it going? I think it was just the fact that, you know, the U.S. dollar is king. And so there's going to be demand for a U.S. dollar token. Um, the rise of Tether specifically because it didn't want to play nice. And so I thought that was good. Uh, I thought it would be more, more utility in that uh, tether than in other things that were uh, kind of getting started. Because at that time, there were a bunch of these tokens, like BitShares had a US dollar token uh, that looks a lot like Maker, actually. Um, and other, other tokens were experimenting all the way back in, what, 2016. So... Um, I just thought Tether was great because it was centralized. So it had some obvious control there um, uh, where you could have like a CTO make a uh, decision or a CEO make a decision um, where the kind of decentralized stable coins don't have that. So they kind of, um, I think that's a, a detriment for them. But uh, I don't know. Does that answer your question? How far do you want me to go on that? I think something that is worth being brought up with Tether as like the to the stable coin of the space is the subject of interest rates, right? Because what happens if in a world with negative interest rates, like what happens mm -hmm. to Tether? Because that then that billions and billions of Tether just becomes a massive liability. So uh, I, I think we have on our schedule to talk about uh, interest rates. Where do you think uh, interest rates are going and how do you think that'll impact the stable coin market? Um, well, right now the Fed is reluctant to even talk about negative interest rates. I, I don't think they will go there because I don't think the Fed is in charge of interest rates. Um, the, mark, the reason why other countries can go there is because they're not the global reserve currency. They're, they're only a, a small fraction of the global economy. And when they do try to do that, uh, they, they wreck their banking sector. So I don't think that... Um, I don't think rates can really go negative in U.S. dollar terms. So I don't see that coming. But if that did happen, let's say it could happen, then, yeah, it would definitely be bad for Tether for sure. Um, 
but you know, interest rates are there for a reason because they represent risk. They're not there because it's free money. Wouldn't, if that did happen in a world with negative interest rates, wouldn't that be a boon to the decentralized stable coins, like the synthetic stable coins that are backed by you know, Ether on Ethereum like DAI or synthetics from the SUSD token? Because then they don't have any dollars in the bank account, right? All of a sudden, uh, there's no, there's no like, uh, centralized banking risk there. It's just now it's just protocol risk. Yeah, I mean, um, who does a lot of do a lot of Japanese people own these uh, DeFi tokens with interest rates, or or is it mainly the U.S. people? Uh, I mean, I I know that Dai is pretty popular in Asia. Um, there's a pretty large uh, Dai Asia market, and then the other half would also be America. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, if it's in China, because they have a really high interest rate relative to the rest of the, like the U.S., I think it's like four or five percent. Uh, Japan is negative. Uh, Europe is negative. So if if negative interest rates were a boon, then we'd see most ownership in Europe and Japan. Interesting. In, instead of China and the U.S. So I don't think necessarily. I think it's kind of a. Um, I, I think it's a bubble. You uh, what? What's a bubble? The amount of value that people are putting into um, stable coins or decentralized stable coins with yield farming and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is, like I said, uh, interest rates are there to um, pay you back for the risk that you're taking. Mm-hmm. So that risk has to be real. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we'll see, I don't think that, you know, these, these uh, DeFi tokens with yield farming and stuff, a lot of these people are really leveraged up and uh, they might not be able to handle a drawdown. So let's bring it back to um, stable coins in like a deflationary environment, right? And so another thing that Nick Carter has been touting uh, is that in a world that's a deflationary environment, everyone's going to want dollars, right? And there's no better rails to yeah. get access to dollars than through crypto, crypto blockchain platforms, mostly Ethereum. Um, there's still some Tether left on Omni and then Justin Sun paid for some Tether to be on Tron. Uh, <laughs> $3 billion worth right now. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, is this, is this just like, and you also mentioned that uh, the, the uh, emerging market currencies are also actually doing the inflation, right? And so, yeah. of course, they want, that's their way to access dollars. There's no faster way to access dollars. So is this just like the, the rails of crypto to access dollars? Is this just here to stay as this is now the way to protect yourself from inflation? Tether specifically? Or? Mostly Tether, yeah, I would guess. I don't know exactly what the rules are. I, I've never... Um bought tether like you know gone in and bought a block of tether or anything got tether issued i don't know who can do that whether that's um oh yeah no you can no very only very wealthy people can do that but you can still go buy tether freely on the open market yeah i mean if you got uncracking yeah Mm -hmm. yeah if you got access to bitcoin i mean you still have to get access to money first right right um so those early people that might have bitcoin or ethereum or something they were able to uh, hold on to it all these years then yeah maybe they could put it in a tether but why why would you do that um you already have bitcoin so right i mean maybe it's about optionality i'm curious to think though like despite Tether being like the least compliant, not playing nice, having the early network effects, like yeah. there's still a centralized organization that could theoretically be attacked if a nation state, like, you know, even a medium sized nation state really wanted to take them down. Like, w- like, what do you think about that attack vector and what void that that leaves in the like US dollar or the crypto dollar ecosystem? Um, I definitely think that is a, an attack vector for sure. Uh, Tether will one day be, be shut down the same way Libra was, right? But $10 billion is not enough. Maybe when you get to $100 billion or $200 billion or something like that, um, then countries will sit up and, and take note. But at this time, it's still too small. So uh, yeah, there could be like this cap where you want to keep your head down. Um, and Tether might know that, and maybe they launch uh, some sort of sister, uh, another subsidiary of IFINX that has another like Tether 2 or something. I don't know. But um, I mean, they obviously have USDC and 
Paxos and, and some other centralized ones, uh, Gemini dollars. Uh, but they, maybe they get, uh, once Tether gets too big, maybe they get all the value. Maybe. Um, so transitioning over to kind of predictions, um, on multiple occasions, you've made the prediction that altcoin pumps are over and <laughs> long-term wise, they're trending to nothing. I'm just kind of curious, do you stand by this? Like, personally, I think Bitcoin is the only good investment here. Um, yeah. But I don't think that, uh, I think that there's still a massive asymmetry of information between, you know, reality and, you know, what uh, people are experiencing as they enter into cryptocurrencies. Um, yeah, I guess, do you stand by your prediction, are altcoin pumps over? And if yes or no, like, what's like the scope? What's the scope? <laughs> Well, I don't think altcoin pumps are over. I, I, my quote is, I think the all-time high is in for the altcoin market cap. You know, X Bitcoin, X stable coins, I think the all-time high is in. So um, I don't know what it's at now, around 100,000 or 100 uh, billion. I'd have to look that up. But um, I mean, they still are far way off. They had to, for the entire altcoin market has to 4X from here to get back to their all-time high. And that, that is, I think that's including like Tether and other things. So if you take Tether out and some other stablecoin things out, um, they have a long way to go. I, yeah, I still stand by that. It's, I know it's a contrarian call. I, I don't know what kind of percentage I would put on it, but um, if it does break the all-time high, then it would be not significant. You know, it wouldn't be like 10Xing the all-time high, pop its head up and then come back down, something like that. And this, this is just, how do you define altcoin? That's a very good question. Um, well, in my Bitcoin dictionary book, I defined it as, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, is, uh, it is an alternate currency to Bitcoin that is on a distributed network. So, so at money? Yeah. Okay. So, so there are, these, there are these plenty of these DeFi tokens out there that yeah. are part of the whole yield farming ecosystem that yeah. are definitely not money and, and no one, no one considers them money. Are they an altcoin? Yes, they're, they're, they they're more, they're more closer to like the, the equity of a protocol. Equity is not the right word because I'm borrowing the world for, with the word from the old world, but it's like the ownership over the cash flows generated by the protocol. It's not meant to be a currency and it's not an L1 native asset to a blockchain. You, you consider this an altcoin? Does, does it have anything to do with the incentive structure of the protocol? Yes then it's a money. It would say a monetary good. It won't, it won't be able to get away from that. They, they will compete on their store of value um, and medium of exchange. That's it. Well, it doesn't, you don't need to use it as a medium of exchange. Uh, it's, it's just highly synonymous with like equity on the stock market where like mm -hmm. it's valuated by based on its present net present cash flows. So, I mean, I don't, I don't you don't really evaluate money on net present cash flow. It's still, in my mind, it's still a money. But no one's using it to purchase anything. People are using it only for a store of value. Yes, but it is the base. If it has to do with the incentive structures, then it is a money because it is rewarding people, trying to get people to do certain behaviors based on the use of this token. And so by that definition, it would be money in my mind. It's, it's a competing against Bitcoin directly. Eventually. So, so it's being paid to people who are doing these activities, but that's like the distribution mechanism, not meant to be a reward. And so it's, it's instead of distributing it out through venture capital and serious fundraising, and it's just distributing it straight into the hands of the community. And these supplies generally run out, right? Like it's, it's like, okay, that's all the equity we have, like no more. And so now, now it trades like a stock. And so it's, it's in, and, you don't need to pay, use it to pay for any services. It's just ownership over a protocol. Well, if it had, like I said, if it has to do with the incentive structure of the protocol, it acts as money. That's, I don't know how else All to right. say it. So, I mean, we could just keep going circles on this one, but agree to disagree. Um, Ansel, so today is what, uh, Tuesday uh, the 27th. Uh, Bitcoin just popped uh, above 11k again. Um, quite uh, quite a day in price action. You know, following 
the weekend and uh, Friday of pretty crazy price action in the altcoin space. Um, what's <laughs> yeah. your analysis of uh, what we've been experiencing the past week and where do you see this going? Well, I, I expected it to pop a little bit. I was surprised that it went so far so fast. A um, little bit of a bubble, I think, here. I mean, minute FOMO going on. So we will, um, uh, I think it will probably consolidate Bitcoin at least. I, I don't know. The, um, I was looking at Ethereum's chart and um, it is, you know, the, the RSI and some, some other indicators are very overbought. And so uh, this is the ETH BTC price specifically. So um, I think that some of these altcoins are probably hitting very overbought conditions more than Bitcoin. So Bitcoin might be able to hang out a little bit more elevated Why altcoins kind of pull back a little bit. And I think we saw that a little bit today, didn't we? So I think that will continue for the next uh, couple weeks and then supply and demand for Bitcoin will continue to move it up. Start of the next bull market. Awesome. Well, Ansel, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, explaining these things and uh, butting heads with uh, our reality. Um, <laughs> I tried. Where can people find you and who do you want to hear from? Yeah, just a note on this. Uh, I, I know this is contrarian. I know that I should be an inflationist and I should be saying that this is going, you know, hyperinflation here pretty soon. But uh, I just don't think it is that way. And um, we'll see. I could be very wrong. Um, but if I'm right, I'm going to be one of the few that, that said it was that way. So, um, anyway, yeah, my, my podcast, I haven't really done too much of is Bitcoin and markets. Um, I have been doing this new one with uh, you Christian FedWatch. Uh, I also released a brand new book or it's going to be released on the first independence day, um, for, uh, oh, sorry. It's called uh, Bitcoin dictionary. So you can go to bitcoindictionary.cc. And I'll take you right to the pre-sale. Congrats on that. Awesome. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, I know that's a big milestone. And uh, let's. I'm excited for hopefully some more Bitcoin and markets because one of my favorite shows personally. Um, you guys can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks and at Bitcoin Magazine. David. You can find me at Trustless State both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, guys. Do you believe? Will you